possible for all of us to be here tonight. We're sitting at your feet tonight, Lord, and I want to ask you that you put a guard in front of my mouth. That I, um, that I bring the stuff that's in your heart. And it's, it's only about you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Hi, everybody. Good evening and welcome. Very glad you braved the cold. Um, so thank you so much for being here. Um, I've never actually introduced myself. I'm Dinda, and I'll be teaching tonight. All right. So in February 1997, I started my relationship with the Lord. And it wasn't a very romantic start. I had one of those Gideon Bibles, and I knew at the back there was something I had to read, and then I would be okay. But my actual prayer went like this. Ek is nou gatvol, dis jou beerd. And that's how it started. Um, and it's amazing how the Lord knows how to work with each person. But a pivotal point in my pathway that started with the Lord was that I plugged into a Bible study group or a care group. And, um, and, the, and I had a very mature Christian leader. And, and, and I only now understand the, the worth that, that was given to me. Now, his name was Donnie Engelbrecht. And um, what set him apart for me was his dedication and commitment to us. First of all, to the Lord. He loved the Lord. But to us, his dedication was there every week. We were there every week. And we discussed a lot of doctrine of the church. So one week we would discuss baptism, and the next was the three-in-one, and the next was tithing. And one night, the theme was forgiveness. And I thought, I've got this. The Lord died on the cross for me. My sins are forgiven. If I die now, I'll see you at the big tree. Thank you very much. I've got it. And um, Donnie went ahead and told the story that really punched me in the gut. And the story went like this. There was this young man um, that, um, you know, he lived a normal life, but he got into trouble, made a few wrong decisions, and he ended up murdering uh, a guy about the same age. And um, he was convicted, and he got a life sentence in jail. And um, no one actually came and visited him. And after about a year, the one Sunday, the warden said to him, you've got a visitor. And he thought, oh, wow, who the hell can this be? And he went out, and there was this middle-aged lady sitting there, and he, and he thought he knew who she was, but he had no recollection. And he sat in front of her, and um, she just started talking to him and said, this is my name. And she started telling him about her son, same age, how he grew up, what she remembered about him. And as she was keeping on telling the story, it, it hit his heart. But this is the young man he killed. And it's his mother sitting in front of him. And you can imagine what went through this young guy's head. He thought, well, the next moment she's going to tell him, go to hell, I hope you rot. But what she said was the following. She said, young man, my son was taken away from me. Can I ask you a massive favor? Can we start building a relationship? I would love to be your mom. Well, I was dumb smacked. I was perplexed. What level of forgiveness is this? How does a human being reach this? So anyway, the, the evening went on and we discussed what the Bible said. 
And the most famous one is in Matthew 18, verse 21. There are Bibles on the table, so please grab a Bible. Please don't ever believe what I say. Look at the Bible. Look at the words. It's life-changing, I promise. But Matthew 18, 21 is where the disciples, you know, gather around Jesus. And, they, and then Peter came to Jesus. And you know, Peter, he was the emotional one, and, but he was one of, you know, the favorites. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister? Up to seven times. Now, guys, if there were some South African slang there, I'm sure the crowd would have gone, yo, 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 yo. Because I don't know if you understand, but the Jews knew the Old Testament extremely well, okay? And um, this was a next-level remark for a Jew. I'll tell you why. Because in the book of Amos, it's a book in the Old Testament, it's what you call a prophetic book. Um, it means Amos was a prophet, and if you know, if you read it in the Old Testament and you read the guy was a prophet, you must know shame. The Lord shows the prophet something, and he must go and tell, you know, uh, Israel, you guys are stuffing up, you better turn around or something is going to happen. They always have to have, you know, they've got these messages. So, so that was the context. So in chapter 1 from verse 3 to 13, the following words are repeated eight times. So I'm just going to read it to you once, okay? But the following is repeated eight times. So this is chapter 1 verse 3 in Amos. This is what the Lord says, for three sins of Damascus, even for four sins, I will not revoke the punish. Okay. All right. So I read up on this, and it says the three transgressions stands for a whole sum of sin, which had not yet brought down extreme punishment. The fourth, fourth was the crowning sin, after which God would no longer spare. So now the Jews knew the Old Testament by heart, and now you can understand when Peter said, even up to seven times. You know, for them, the limit was four, okay? So when he said seven times, I'm, I'm sure the crowd was, you know, oh, wow, this is amazing. This man will even forgive seven times. But yet, our Jesus came through, and he blasted them out of the water as per usual. And in Matthew 18, 22, Jesus answered, I tell you, not up to seven times, but up to 77 times. So you see, the disciples were still thinking in limited terms of the law rather than the unlimited terms of grace. And also, I think Jesus was alluring to the fact that you will be forgiving people a lot. Just put that at the back of your mind. All right, you're going to be forgiving people a lot. Another thing we also discussed that night was Luke 23, 24. Now that for me is the ultimate forgiveness. That's where Jesus said, forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they are doing. He was on the cross, bleeding close to death, and that was his words. Forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. And again, it's that level of forgiveness that just whacks my brain out. I, I don't know where it comes from. But yeah, of course, I've been thinking about forgiveness since my relationship started with the Lord because it's a, it's a thing. And, and I've clicked over the years, forgiveness journeys, and I call it forgiveness journeys, are different for every individual. And each individual has hundreds of forgiveness journeys which they are busy with at one time. You're not just busy with one forgiveness and you do it and it's over. There's so many going on. And that's what I've clicked. Now, one of my... Forgiveness journeys happened 
with my dad. Now, I want to start with a funny story because he was quite a funny dude. Um, he was, he was um, diagnosed with prostate cancer in 2005, but the Sunday afternoon, he invited my brother and I to the pub for some Sharpies with his Chinas. Okay, so you can already you know, put a picture around my dad. And I don't know if you've ever been in a pub with old men. The, I think the jokes originate in these places. So anyway, there was a joke told that day. An American, a Brit, and a Japanese were stranded on an island. And um, the American and, and Brit told the Japanese, all right, we will build the hut. You go out and get supplies. You see, and that Jap just turned around and he ran into the woods. And they thought, oh, well, he's excited. You know, he's definitely going to get us some food. And they built the shelter and, and, and. And it got lunchtime and it was four o'clock in the afternoon. And later on, it was nearly the sun went down. And they thought, no, hell, they must go and look for this Jap. Maybe something happened. And they went into the woods. And as they turned the corner, the guy jumped out and he, and he shouted, supplies. All right. Do you catch it? Yeah. <laughs> All right. You got it. You got it. You got it. Thank the Lord. Okay. Anyway, so that was the afternoon. And the next morning, 5 o'clock, he had to come to my house because we were going to the urology hospital right here around the corner. And funny enough, he overslept. My dad is never late for anything. So I said to him, okay, you just drive through straight to the hospital. I'll drive now. I'll tell them you're on your way. I'll start booking you in because I'm very responsible and this can't happen, you know. And, um, but what, at the, uh, if you've been at the urology hospital, you park on the roof and then you get into the lift and you go down to the reception area. So I'm sitting there and it's now six o'clock and he's not there yet. And half past six, I see the, the doors open and he comes out and he opens his arms and he shouts, supplies. I'm like, okay, you're here. All right, just get here. All right, you know, sign in. Let's do this thing, you know. Anyway, he's in his bed and he's got his little, you know, hospital clothes on and everything and the anesthesiast, as it were, the one that gives the drugs, <laughs> anesthesiologist, thank you so much. All right, he started giving my dad, you know, like an injection just to calm him down and everything and then they came and they took him away and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, he's going into a hell of operation now, I can lose him, this is, might be the last time I see my dad, and I like hold his hand, and now he's like sort of like in dreamland already, and like opens his eyes, and I'm thinking, what is he going to tell me, is this going to be a life-changing moment, and he said, supplies, and I'm like, okay, just go, just have your operation, after operation, he came out in ICU, true to form, opened his eyes, and he said, supplies so that's my dad all right but anyway but to give you a bit more context Tiana if you can just put on those black and white photos for me my dad was a sportsman as you can see over there that's Loftus in the 60s there was no fences you can run up and slap the rugby players if you wanted to he played for um, Northern Transvaal and Natal and here in the middle he's the second from the right he was a social buff he loved you know he loved the beers um, and alcohol a lot, but his, ident <laughs> his identity was very much grounded in his rugby and, and that type of lifestyle. And my mom, she was sort of a part-time model, so it was this rugby guy and this model, and they lived together, and um, he was a Catholic, and my mom was Dutch Reformed, so the Dutch Reformed Church told my mom, you will not get married in this church because he's a Catholic, and they said, stuff you, we will. So they got married in a Baptist church, and as you can see here, 
My mom had a skirt on, but it was actually a pants. She made her own dress. So, but isn't it a beautiful? They they were they were stunning. But um, their marriage started breaking down, and it was quite imminent by the time I was nine months old that there was not much going on between them. But they stayed together. And in 1998, uh, my mom died. And thanks, Tian, you can take the, the photos off. Um, when my mom died in 1998, my dad literally clutched out. He, um, he became a recluse. Um, his hygiene went out of the back door. He started looking like Einstein, you know, those hair like that, you know. And he didn't want to be touched. Now, that was difficult for me because my love language, I love hugging and touching and, you know. So my brother Dennis and I started to manage the circumstances. We've always managed him all our lives, but we sort of went into overdrive at this stage. And I was 26 at, at that moment, um, and I thought, what the hell is going on? This guy's the adult. He should look after me. What the heck is this? Um, we got him a room in a, a women's federation place. He wasn't old enough to go into an old age home. But um, he was looking like Einstein. He was smelly. And he lived on Cadbury chocolates, lemony creams, and two-liter bottles of Coke. That was his diet. And when you visited him, he would just stand there. You know, he would just stand. He didn't want to speak to you. He just looked at you. And, um, yeah, like I said, no touching. And the rumors started flying around in the pubs because, you know, my dad hang out at the pubs. And they, the, the rumors were my dad had AIDS because he was losing a lot of weight. And I remember I, rec I confronted this recluse. And I said, Dad, if you have AIDS, it's okay. We love you. Just tell us what you want. We'll do it. With, with this tone that you just heard me. So I think there was, um, there might have been a tremendous underlying anger <laughs> issues towards this man, don't you think? You know, that, that was the tone that I talked to him. But in this time, I'm, I'm this new Christian and I'm listening to tape cassettes and sermons and there was one sermon that, that you, you could, you know, repeat the you know, the, uh, the prayer to forgive your, you know, earthly father, and I did that, but there was no fireworks. Um, <laughs> and as also as a young Christian, you start, you know, um, discovering the Bible. And uh, you like, oh, look, there's Old Testament. I didn't know. You're like, oh, there's a book called Micah. I thought that's a hardware store. Oh, no, no, it's a book in the Bible. Okay. And then typically as a Christian as well, you... Um, you, 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 you read these new verses, and it's eye-opening, but you usually, as a new Christian, you read it totally out of context, totally out of context, but you draw strength, okay? You draw strength from it because, and, and you pray it over your situation. Now, one of these texts I found was in Ezekiel um, 36, verse 26. It's also a prophetic book in the Old Testament. Now, again, Ezekiel was a prophet, and... Um, so he was one of those that had to go and tell Israel, you're in trouble, get out of trouble, listen to the Lord, else there's going to be more trouble. And what Ezekiel 36:26 said was the following, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So this was actually totally out of context because it was a prophet that was telling Israel, you know, come on, see the day of light. But the context it gave me or the hope it gave me, I started praying this over my dad. 
All right. Come on, Lord. Remove his stone heart and give him a heart of flesh. Come on. Come on, come on, come on. You can do it, you know. Curious enough, the following thing happened. My dad's toes started rotting. Yeah, lovely, hey? Yeah. And, and me being a biokineticist, I thought, damn it, it's that Coke and the chocolate. He's got diabetes. He's going to lose his legs. And I tested his sugar, and it was fine. And I got him to the, the doctor with a lot of trouble getting him out of that room. And the doctor just said to me, my dear, he's a recluse. He's not moving around. There's no circulation in his feet. You must start cleaning his feet. I'm like, okay. All right, this must happen every week. I'm like, okay. All right, so every week I boiled water. And I put it in this cherise pink plastic bowl. And my dad's feet had to go in it. And I had to clean those toes and I had to scrub them and then take his feet out of the water and I had to rub it with ointment and I had to massage his feet. And guys, you must remember, my dad didn't want to be touched. So I'm sitting there and he's looking at me as if he's watching this horror movie. You know, his teeth was grit like this and he was like, he was not enjoying this at all. But I was, for a change, sitting in silence at his feet. And guess what? My heart. My heart, my heart changed. My heart changed from stone to flesh. And things started dropping in my heart. I never knew how to honor this man as a father. And my dad always pulled on the short end of life. And um, I started feeling empathy towards this man. And I felt so sorry for the choices he made in his life. And I clicked, I had a hand in my anger towards him. So the grace and forgiveness started growing in me for this recluse, for this man. But it was still a very bumpy road, guys, because you must remember he was diagnosed with bipolar. Eventually, everything started making damn sense. This guy had bipolar, you know, but only in 2006 they, they diagnosed him. So, so when the, the meds started stabilizing him, I started really enjoying this cute little old man. And um, the last four years of his life, um, our relationship actually restored there was a few things I learned how to serve this man. It was a joy to go and pick him up, to take him to hospital, to get his medicine or to sort stuff out for him. Now, my dad and I's love language was rugby, and I've said it before. And Nick will remember, um, we, there were once at that Lofters, we, uh, the Bulls played against cheetahs. Sorry, Nick, you were a cheetah and you lost that day. I must just say that, but anyway. <laughs> All right. And... And I don't know if you remember, my dad's eyesight was so bad, it looked like the binoculars grew out of his eyes. He was sitting like this the whole time and watching the game. My dad also adored animals. And um, there was a few months in this one year that I didn't receive threat calls from debt collectors or old ladies asking for their money. But I must admit, I did confiscate my dad's ID and his bank card. So I, I kept him, I kept him, you know, good. And I said to him, Dad, you've been good for the last few months. We're going to buy you a budgie because that's the only animal that they, you know, where he stayed. You can have a budgie. 
And true to form, we, we bought, bought a blue budgie, and the budgie's name is Baliki. Thank you very much. <laughs> but as the budgie got older, there was these little yellow feathers coming around his face, and my dad, typically his funny self, said, damn it, I should have called the thing yellow jaundice. But anyway. <laughs> um, and, I, you know, I could treat him. It was 2010. It was World Cup soccer. I took him to Loftus to see a game there. He, I remember his fingers were in his ears with the Vuvuzelas. It was so funny. And I was his date to his 50th school reunion. And um, Tian, if you can put that last slide on um, of my dad. And I even organized the surprise 70th birthday for him. You can see there he's not suspecting because I said I'm going to a church council meeting. And there he's like, oh, this is for me. All right. So um, <laughs> uh, thanks, Tian. Um, so, and I, I can genuinely sit here today and tell you guys I loved every moment with him for that last four years. I enjoyed it so much to serve this guy. Um, and my heart was so much restored that the last words I said to him um, on his deathbed, it was, um, um, it doesn't matter what you've done on this earth, it only matters what Jesus did for you on the cross. And um, if my heart was still that heart of stone, um, I don't think that would have been my last words to him. And I had the massive privilege. I did his sermon at his funeral because I can tell you there was not one Germany on this earth <laughs> that knew my dad. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> so I, I had the massive privilege of doing his funeral. Um, but this, and this was one of my forgiveness journeys. And other forgiveness journeys in my life... Um, they were quicker, maybe, you know. And some forgiveness journeys um, I thought I was done with, but it, it revived again. I, I just want to put some context around this. About 20 years ago, I was in a very abusive relationship. It was more emotional, but it was physical as well. But I genuinely, genuinely forgave this guy. Um, and uh, after this relationship, it took me about two to three years that I clicked. He had no right to do this to me. But the biggest thing I had to go through is I had to forgive myself for the stupid choices I made in my life. But I seriously worked through this. But about two years ago, I ran into this guy for the first time in 20 years or 17 years at my work. And it was just a two-minute, I saw him, and I, I felt the blood drain out of my out of my face and I started trembling and I wanted to grab someone's hand or I wanted to go and lie on the ground like a fetus and all the anger and all the fear and all the guilt just came rushing back and it was just a two minute hi uh, how are you and 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 I, and I literally ran away there and um, Peter the guy from the work that I told, told you about in the previous teaching I phoned him and he came over to my office and, and he had to pray and counsel over me because everything felt the same. I felt like the forgiveness wasn't there. So, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I had to get busy with that one again. So we are busy with hundreds and hundreds of forgiveness journeys all at once and each journey is different. So I never stopped meditating about forgiveness. And the other day I visited this old lady. I always visit her about once or twice a year because you need wise people in your life and I don't have much of them. And I, and I asked her, Marina, um, how does one keep on forgiving and not hold 
a grudge. And you know what? She stared at me for a while, and then she took a sip of a cappuccino, and she put it down, and this is what she said to me. She said, Dinda, it is humanly impossible. If forgiveness was dependent on me, never. But when your relationship grows with Jesus, it is the Holy Spirit and your knowing of what was conquered on the cross that gives your heart the capacity to forgive. We are in the people business, Dinda, and where there are people, forgiveness is a constant in any relationship. I'm going to say that again. Forgiveness is a constant in any relationship. Now, last week when we had our worship sermon, Marishka was reading um, verses, and I don't know if you remember my girl, I came to you afterwards and I said, what was that last part you read? And you said, it's Colossians 3. I'm like, oh, it's one of my favorite books, but I actually clicked silently. I've just read chapter 1. You, you read out of chapter 3. That's why I didn't know where it was from. But anyway, but I'm going to just read it again. Colossians 3, verse 13. It says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I'm going to read it again. We're in the people business. Okay? Bear with each other and forgive one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So especially that last part, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And that's usually what rings in my ears. And I say to the Lord, but Lord, that, that person is a bloody idiot. I'm, no, no, I'm not, no. And then I'm reminded, who am I not to forgive? They have been forgiven on the cross as well, just like I have been. Who am I not to forgive? But as you always know, when I teach, I give a word of caution. Because this is not a fairy tale and it's not easy. So my dad hurt me many times, guys. He hurt people very close to me, like my beautiful brother, Dennis. It's Dennis and Dennis, by the way. But anyway, my beautiful brother. And my dad was a manipulator of note. I can tell you that today. So it's one thing to genuinely forgive. And, and yes, you can genuinely forgive someone, but you must seriously pray for a spirit of discernment with that. Do you hear me? Because else you're going to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive, and you're going to get hurt. So you must seriously pray for a spirit of discretion. Because after genuinely forgiving, there are still going to be hundreds of moments that you need to forgive. And a spirit of discretion will help you set borders, healthy borders. One counselor, and yes, I needed a lot of counseling about my dad. She said to me one day, you cannot take responsibility for your dad's irresponsibility. And something dropped because um, it helped me, and that was one of the ways that I could set a healthy border with my dad because I would listen to him and his needs. He wants this or this must happen. And I could say to him, no, no, not today. I mean, the one day he said, listen, I need a bicycle. I think I've got a job in some beers. He was living here in Skinner Street. And I, no, 
why do you want a bicycle? No, I must drive, I must, I must cycle to the job. He didn't even have a job. Okay, so, you know, so for me to say no to my dad was massive, and it, it saved me that the seed of anger would not take, take hold of my heart again. Can you see those healthy borders helped me to get the seed of anger away from me? All right, and I, and I could still look at him through the eyes of Jesus, and I could still experience tremendous care and love for this man. So in closing... The more my relationship grew with my heavenly father, the more my heart's capacity grew in grace and forgiveness. So each forgiveness journey is different. And lastly, always remember, sometimes, if not most of the times, you might be the one with a stone heart. Let's close our eyes. Lord, thank you so, so, so much that you can use stuff in our lives to teach. Thank you, Lord, that you, you are on the cross for each one of us, each person on, on this earth, and, and that was enough. That was enough forgiveness and Lord I want you I want you to help us and grow with us Lord in and grow in our hearts that the Holy Spirit can teach us spirit of discretion but a spirit of forgiveness because Lord you can only give us the capacity to do so thank you so much for your love because that is the ultimate thank you so much that you are our King Lord that we can bowed down before you and know you are worthy to be praised and it's all about you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks guys. There's nice coffee and there's a little heater over there to warm up. So enjoy. Okay, thanks.